0: three female attorneys coming together to have our voices heard. Each of us would have different opinions, different passions, different backgrounds, and different views. Although we are different and unique, we are able to come together to discuss our experiences navigating through the legal profession and this thing called life. Now, the Vision has come alive, and we invite you each and every week to listen to us as we talk about what's trending in the news and our legal insights tackle real-life issues that affect not only us as attorneys, but us as women of color. Disclaimer, this podcast is intended to provide entertainment and general information. The information provided and the views given are not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as legal representation. All views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever we are affiliated with now or will be affiliated with in the future. Hey guys, it's your girl Brandy and we are back You're, with your favorite attorneys in Houston. I hope everybody has had a I would say I hope everybody had a good week, but you know these are stressful and trying times. And, of course, before we get started, we have some heavy hitters on our um, recording today, but we want to introduce yourself. T-Hut, so let everybody know what's going on.
1: Hey, guys, it's Taria. Um, Yes, there's a lot going on, but I would say that I'm thankful to still be alive and have my health and my strength, and so do my family and friends. So, for that alone, I think this has been a good week so far.
2: Sam. Hi everyone, Sam Fraish. I would uh, echo Taria's sentiments that although it's trying times, we're still here. Uh, we still have blood pumping through our veins, and we're here to make a difference. So we're excited to have you guys, uh, everyone, our guests on the show today.
0: All right. Well, we're going to get started. So we're going to introduce, like I said, we have heavy hitters. Everybody will know what's been going on in the news, unless you're living on the rock or, you know, you up there with the aliens, because they don't want us, after you know, what's going on here. Um, so we're going to do an episode, basically, I'm titling this 1600 Black Lives Matter Plaza, because um, I know y'all seen recently that Mayor Bowser in D.C. changed um Forty-five, the president's address from sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue to sixteen hundred Black Lives Matter Plaza, and she gets the Petty Award of the Year. And yes. I, I'm trying to strive to be that level of pettiness in my life. Like, hands down, she did that. Right. So we're gonna talk. About I need to
2: go ahead and drop some mail to the to the president <laughs> with the, just so he got a little piece of mail.
0: <laughs> he did that. <laughs> But I want to introduce our guests. We have phenomenal guests on the show. Some have been, um, came back on our show, have been previous guests. We have new guests. Um, we got personal friends that are of our, of our hosts on the show. So I want to start with Miss Abby, reintroduce yourself. You know, you've been with us before, so thank you for coming back.
3: Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm Abby Katoon. I'm an associate attorney at the law firm of Reed Smith here in Houston. I practice labor and employment law, which is its own type of discrimination law. Um, But this area that we're gonna talk about today is near and dear to me as I'm sure it's near and dear to most of the African-American attorneys and people in the country. So um, I'm very happy to be here, thank you.
0: And tell them, you're the chair of what section?
3: Uh, Yes, this is true, sorry. (laughs) I'm a (laughs) past president of the Houston Lawyers Association here in Houston and um, the current chair of the African-American Lawyer Section of the State Bar of Texas. Cool. Um, Yeah.
0: And Ms. Portia Harris, introduce yourself. Let our um, fans and listeners know you are new to the show. So thank you for coming.
4: Everybody, thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Portia Harris. I serve as the co-chair of the Young Adult Committee for the Houston branch of the NAACP. Um, So I'm super excited to be here. This is our time to really put feet to the to the ground and really get more people mobilized. So I'm I'm excited. Um it's trying times, it's hard times. Um, but it's what this organization was built for. So I'm excited to be in this position to be able to bring more people into the fold.
0: Thank you. And last but not least, my boo. <laughs> Mr. Floyd, introduce yourself.
5: <laughs> uh, good evening, ladies and everyone watching and listening. Uh, I am Henry Floyd, Jr. I'm a senior associate attorney uh, at Coons McKinney Johnson and uh here in DC and Maryland. Um, I, when I'm practicing, I practice personal injury, high earning workers comp and medical malpractice. When I'm not practicing, I put my cape on and I am, you know, and I fight for everybody else as usual uh, on social justice issues. I am the current, the 50th president of the Washington Bar Association, which is the oldest and largest affiliate chapter of the National Bar Association. We were founded also in 1925, uh, and we have over 500 members. I am also I also sit on the National Bar Association's Board of Governors, uh, representing the Washington Bar Association. Uh, And also the newly elected Chief Justice of Sigma Delta Tau Legal Fraternity, which is the only African-American male legal fraternity in the country. So I I wear a few different hats, but they're all combined to fight for social justice issues.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Yes.
5: You better go, Henry. (laughs) I was just waiting. I was
2: waiting for you to say "And a member of uh, Alpha Phi Alpha just because you just
0: seem like an alpha.
5: That, that's just I keep that in mind I keep that in mind
0: <laughs> <laughs> so as everybody know you know Joy Floyd passed away well no he was murdered I'm keep it real so yeah. he was murdered about a week or so ago by a Minnesota cop and that's you know un- and it what's sad is the fact that y'all know we just did an episode about two weeks ago about another young man Ahmaud Arbery who was murdered Breonna Taylor who was murdered in her home by police officers so unfortunately until they stop killing us we gonna keep having these episodes because we were supposed to have an episode about eviction but cops just want to kill us so we're gonna keep talking about it we want to bring solutions and awareness before we delve into everything i want to play this clip real quick one of our um past guests um sean say brown was um a guest on our um i am not my hair episode and him and his son attended the protest here in Houston a week ago. And what was touching about this is the little boy walked up to a police officer and introduced himself. So it made the circuit. It was all on the news, how he's formed a bond with the police officers. And his father was trying to tell him, son, you know, you don't need to be afraid, but also tell the police officer, don't be afraid of my son. And the little boy is six years old. So he has a little moving little speech. So I want to play that. And then we're going to get right into it. So let's play that clip.
5: This uniform doesn't mean that I'm better than you. You know, I, this uniform means that I have a duty to protect you.
2: And Everyone has to do their part to help other people and to be a caring heart.
0: So that right there, a six year old little boy named Dallas Brown basically told, did a call to action. He said, everybody has to do their part and you have to have a caring heart. And here we are. So let's talk about what happens next. We protested, we have um, shouted from the rooftops. We have, we're tired, we're tired. We keep having the same story. We keep trying to change the narrative, but let's talk about how to change the narrative. And that's where, like, again, we brought y'all in to talk about it. So first, like I said, We all know what happened in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, Minnesota with George Floyd. So we're all aware of that. There's no need to go into, you know, specific details. We saw the video that, and we saw how he called out for his mother and things like that, which was hard. I personally have not seen the video because I know I will start crying and I do not want to see the video, but just, you know, looking at the news and things like that Um, here in Houston, George Floyd will be laid to rest. His memorial service was today at the time of this recording. It was a public viewing and found praise. And his funeral will be Tuesday, June, what's today, 8th, so June 9th, will be in Houston. He'll be laid to rest in a funeral, um, in a funeral site in, in the cemetery here in Pearland, Texas. So he will be laid to rest here in Pearland. So this is a question for each of you. And of course, we're gonna ask y'all questions. The other co-hosts will definitely chime in. But what I want to start out with is what, what in your opinion, is racism? Like, what is racism? And this is to educate, too, because a lot of people don't necessarily know exactly what racism is. And a lot of times racism isn't somebody blatantly coming to your face and spitting in your face or calling you the N-word or, um, you know, just anything. So racism can be subtle, and a lot of times people don't know that. So I want each of you to tell me, you know, in your own words, what is, is what is racism. So, yeah, Abby, you want to start?
3: Sure. Um, I mean, it's a tough uh, question, even though we knew the questions ahead of time. Um, but I'll give I'll give it a, um, a go. Um, I'm an employment lawyer, and so there's actionable racism um racial discrimination um where um where you make an adverse employment action on the basis of someone's race and we know that that is illegal under title seven of the civil rights act that's one type of uh, of racism when it's used against you in the context of employment or um, in housing etc um it's funny because i've had these conversations with lots of people about racism um because once you give someone that definition that I just gave you, they always want to bring up, well, then white people experience racism, too, and other people experience racism, and I want to say, yes, that's true. When we're talking about this this type of racism, when we're talking about racism in employment law, yes, it can happen a lot in different ways, just like sexism can be against women and it can be against men, but when we're talking about the racism we're talking about when we talk about George Floyd that goes to... The fabric of everything that is America—it's—it's it's really about superiority, or at least perceived superiority of one race over another race, and in this case, we're talking about um, white people having perceived uh, superiority over black people, and it's—it's it's woven in everything, such that it's insidious. It is. It is deeply rooted in people. And so then it's like in everything. It's in a traffic stop, as we've seen with George Floyd. It's in, you know, picking uh, John over Jamal when you're picking someone uh, for a job. It's in, it's like woven in everything. And when it's like that, and when it's societal superiority over one race of people, then you really can't have reverse discrimination. You can't have, a white person feeling that type of racism.
0: So that's
4: just my viewpoint on it. Portia. I agree with everything you said, Abby. And I think it is, it's it's an ingrained, um, just sense of superiority, ingrained sense of just you feeling better um, than someone. And we we talk about this in so many different ways, but I think in terms of white people and black people, it's a power thing as well, it's a power dynamic. Um, and so, in considering that it is insidious, just feeling like you're better, more superior, whether it's smarter, whatever it looks like, but it's just in that and it's, it, it surfaces in so many different ways. So you guys are talking about in the context of law, um, in the context of police brutality or having someone stop uh, when, they, when you walk into a store. Um, And you're followed around because people, it's a perceived thought that you may steal something. So I think it's just an, like she said, an insidious, just ingrained sense of just, you're better um, than someone else. And this is so superficial in the color of our skin. Henry.
5: Okay, Uh, I I, I agree with everything that my my co-panelists have said. Uh, I grew up in the deep South, the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So I've experienced blatant racism. Where it's in your face it's not hidden. You know, hidden is not you know anything that's covered up. So when I went to law school in Michigan and then came here to DC, it wasn't the fact that I couldn't recognize racism and didn't know what it was. I had to learn how to recognize the microaggressions and not the fact that it was hidden, but how it can come across when it's not so blatant. You know, and and so that was the hardest part for me. It's like you know you are in a situation. It's like wait. Did, did, did he or she just say what I think they said? Or did they just do what I think they did? So I, I, I agree with, with with Abby where, you know, it's different context. You know, you, it's, it's never, racism is not just one thing. And I always go back to one of my favorite quotes by Eleanor Roosevelt that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent, you know. But at the same time, that does not stop them from trying to make you feel inferior. You just have to give them the consent. And that's just what we as a people have to learn not to do. You know, and be able to address it in, in in the same aspect. So,
0: I want to go back to that microaggression. So, can you elaborate on that? Because some of our listeners really may not know what that is, and you know, we might need to touch on that a little bit. So, can you give an example of a microaggression, like the racism, especially in even corporate America, or just you know, just everyday life? Because some people, some people may face it and just not realize. You know, like maybe a blue collar worker may face it and may not know exactly what that what it is or what it looks like.
5: Well, you know, uh, again, it's a microaggression because it's 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 basically put there and done, so you don't you can't not recognize it as you know mm-hmm. as you would anything else. So, in, in terms of let's say employment, I've been in a job before where I've had supervisors that did not want to deal directly with me, and and that's not blatant. That's a microaggression, and, and something as simple as giving assignments to your counterparts, your white counterparts that, you know, you're, you know, you could do these assignments. That's a microaggression where, you know, they don't give you the opportunity to prove yourself, you know, and, and you, you see, you take that as that, that position of you start to question yourself because it's like, wait a minute, am I just being overly sensitive? Because that's what a microaggression does. It, it makes you think that it's on you,
1: Right. you know,
5: it makes you think that you're overthinking things. So it's, is you know, when it's really not you. And it's just the aspect of if it's something so simple that it makes you question yourself, that's a microaggression.
1: I know. I was was gonna say um, the one that I am not fond of is, oh, you speak so well. Yes. Oh, you're proper. Um, And I grew up in the deep South as well. And I'm the token black friend. And so to me, I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you, thanks. I speak well. The older I got, I was like, wait a minute. What are you really trying to say there? And in their minds, they're giving a compliment, right? Because they're not calling you hood or ghetto or ratchet, right? You're not the basketball wives or you're not Real Housewives of Atlanta. They're saying that you're educated. But to me, I'm like, you don't need to say any of that because I'm just talking the way that I talk. And you've put all of our whole race of people into one box and said that we all come from the ghetto and we all don't speak well or we all don't do this when really, as you can see on this panel of, how many of us, six, seven, eight, six of us. um, We come in all colors, sizes from different backgrounds. And so that's what makes America what America is because we are the melting pot. And even in our race in general, we're a melting pot. And so I think a lot of people don't understand even saying something as small as, oh, you speak so well, or, you know, walking through the store with my father, is that your real father? <laughs> hmm. Y'all share the same last name? Things like that where they're thinking that they're just giving a compliment today. Oh, look at this black man doing what he's supposed to do. You know, that is that is racism. And, uh, and I think a lot of people don't even realize that that is racism, but it, it's tried and true racism. So I hope even people listening to this, they can stop and say, have I done those small things? Because you know, they'll say, I'm not racist, but if you go and really dig into it, have you made those types of comments? Because if you have, you probably need to go back and look and figure out why you said those things.
2: And and I would like to add to that, Therese, that um, I think that we do have to recognize what racism is, also what racism isn't. But when, I, when we say racism, it's like right now, we're asking for the bare minimum of not to be killed by the police. Now think of that on the grand scheme of things, right? So we are essentially asking to stop being killed. But if you look at the spectrum of racism, there is so many going back to microaggressions Like Henry said, that there are so many different layers um, that encompass racism. For example, as an attorney, walking into the courtroom and everyone assuming either you're the defendant Hmm. or you're the paralegal, or even sitting at counsel table, which everyone knows that if you're an attorney, you work very hard to sit above bar. And so When you are a member of the bar, you do not sit where the lay person sit. And it's not a sense of, oh, I think I'm better. It's just that all the attorneys sit above bar. Why? Because we passed the bar. Mm -hmm. And when you walk up to me and ask me, um, are you here? Are you a party to a case? Or are you the paralegal? Or sometimes I've just had white colleagues who won't even return your call. They send their paralegal to call you instead of them taking the time out to call you. Now, some people may say, "Um, that's not really racism, but when you understand the culture of the profession, when you understand that attorneys speak to attorneys, paraprofessionals speak to paraprofessionals, not saying that I would never speak to a paraprofessional because if I need to get something done, I do, but there's a certain level of respect that comes with the profession. And to not receive that same level of respect is a form of racism. Or to even not give some of our judges who are black women or black males and not give them the same respect. I've seen where white colleagues have straight disrespected uh, some uh, members of our judiciary for the mere fact of the color of their skin. They would never speak to a non-Black member, uh, a member of the judiciary the way that they've spoken to some of the judges um, that I've seen, some of the behavior. And so all of that together is a culmination. So I I want non-Black colleagues, friends, and even enemies to understand that it's not just hate. Stop killing me, stop, uh, you know, arresting me for no reason, stop harassing me. But also, it comes with a level of respect and being seen as an equal in whatever profession that you're in. Um, and I, I do have a clip from Jane Elliott who kind of explains, um, an example of what racism is, and I think she does a really good job of explaining, um, to non-black members of society, what is racism? So if we could play that clip.
5: Jane Elliott, thank you so much for being on our show. I appreciate it. Um, for those not familiar with your work, can you explain what you do?
6: I separate groups of people according to the color of their eyes in order to give them the, some idea, white people, some idea of how it feels to be treated unfairly on the basis of a physical characteristic over which you have no control. I say I, I use blue eyes, brown eyes, and anybody who doesn't have blue or brown eyes simply goes in the low class. I accuse brown eyed people, who I always put on the top the first day, of being smarter, more worthwhile, more Christian, better human beings than blue-eyed people are, because everybody knows that blue-eyed people have too little melanin in your eyes, and so it allows too much sunlight to enter your eyes and damage your brain cells. And that's the reason blue-eyed people aren't as smart as brown-eyed people. Does that make sense to you? No. That's that's the thing that makes this exercise necessary, is the fact that we in education support the myth of one race and the myth of the rightness of
5: whiteness. Um, How would you talk to, or tell, or ask white people to talk to each other about racism?
6: The first thing I ask people to do is realize that there are no white people on the face of the earth. Now, unless you are, unless you are an albino, and if you want to know how that goes, then you look up Tanzania, Google Tanzania, and look at what happens to albinos in that country. It's absolutely terrifying and indecent. However, it's practically what happens to people of other color groups in the United States of America. We don't cut them in little pieces, we kill them in front of cameras. When, you have, when you're have, you going to talk to people of color, the first thing you don't say is, when I see people, I don't see people as black or brown or red or yellow, I just see people as people. And teachers in schools all over the United States say that every year, at least several teachers are saying that to their students. They say, I don't see people as black or brown or red or yellow, but they never put the word white in there because it's all right to see white, you see. And when you talk to a person of color, you have no right to say, when I see you, I don't see you black. And you have no right to say to some ugly female like me, I'm colorblind, and I've had dozens and dozens of white women walk up to me and say, I'm not racist, I'm I'm colorblind. And I say, I knew that you were colorblind before you said it because if you weren't colorblind, you wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. Now, they, they take exception to that and they walk away very quickly and very angrily because I have oh, accused them of lying to their face. People who say to me, I don't see color or who say to a black person, I don't see you as black are saying, I have the freedom to deny the largest organ inch by inch on your body, which is your skin. Now, if you can't see my skin, you can't see me. It's time for people to take those phrases out of their lexicon.
5: When did you start the exercise? And third graders, right?
6: The day after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. He had been one of our heroes of the month in February, and he was dead in April. And I, we were learning the Indian unit at that time. Our lesson plan for the next day was to learn the Sioux Indian prayer, which says, oh great spirit, keep me from ever judging a man until I've walked a mile in his moccasins. I was taking the teepee that my previous third graders had made home. I was going to wash it and dry it and iron it on the living room floor. I walked in my door. I
0: like that clip. That was a good one.
2: (laughs) So that, that is Jane Elliott. She has spent her life's work on trying to educate white individuals on what racism really looks like. And she described um, her social experiment of separating the room into uh, brown eyes and blue eyes. And you can you can find her experiment on YouTube. She spent her life work doing this, but it's very um, eye-opening to see the, her um, subjects get very frustrated when they're told that they can't talk. No one, you know, be quiet. Because you have blue eyes. You, you aren't allowed to talk. And so I think that that's a great, if anyone has the opportunity to look up Jane Elliott and see some of her work. But I thought that that was a great explanation of what, how absurd racism is, but how we are treated. Because in America, a lot of times when we walk into places, we feel invisible when we're not amongst our own. We, we're discounted. Um, So, I I think that that's something to consider when we are thinking about the idea of racism. Are we recognizing us? Saying that you don't see color doesn't make Black people feel better. I know it doesn't make me feel
0: better. Um, I mean, it doesn't make me feel better when you say, you know, um, well, I'm not racist because I have Black friends. Like, that. To me that means you're racist because what does that mean because i don't know what you're saying with your white friends you know so Correct. you're with that one black friend or maybe your two black friends oh it's like that's when you say you don't see color or whatever or i'm not racist but then what are you saying over here like and we've all i know we've all experienced racism we all have had it like you said sam you know it's a times i've been into court and the bailiff just dismissed me when i tried to walk across the bar and I wanted to um, speak with the judge. I was trying to walk to the bailiff so I can introduce myself to the judge. And he thought I was a defendant, and I had on a full fledged suit and hair done and everything. And I said, "No, I'm an attorney." Embarrassed. He wasn't black, of course, but he was embarrassed. So we've all been through it. We've all dealt with it. My question is, but do you say something about it? Because as black people, you know, we tend to. We were raised, and I know I saw this on social media we were raised to speak differently when addressing our white counterparts. Like, for instance, when you go, if, um, if somebody is 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 saying something to you or disrespecting you, it's at times where you can't lash out. You can't clap back in a sense because then you're coming off as, for us, oh, you're the angry black woman. Because I had an incident where... Um, I was nominated, well, I was selected as one of the National Bar Association's Top 40 Under 40 Nations Bet African um, Advocate Award recipient.
2: As you should be. Thank
0: you. And one of my white counterparts replied back with an email stating that I was, like, my self-promotion game was on point. And I was offended. And also, too, he thought that I paid for the award. Oh. I was offended. I was highly offended because so what as a black attorney, I can't get an award. I can't get something. So I had to, I, I, consulted Henry, Henry knows this cause I reached out to him and I was like, Ooh, I said, I sent him the email and I'm like, you know, what should I do? And another friend of mine and my best friend was on the um, group chat as well. And the thing about it was, It was like Henry was like, no, you should say something because it's disrespectful. And then the other person was like, well, no, just let it go. Like, do you really know him? And I also had another friend reach out and said the same thing. Then they're both black. But my question is, why should I have let it go? Why? Because is it because I mean, he's a white man. Why should I just let him blatantly disrespect disrespect me? And I'm not asking you to congratulate me because of my award. I didn't even tell you to. Somebody else told you. But the fact you replied back, why do I have to just like, oh, we just let it go because, you know, it shouldn't affect you. This is a white man telling a black female what he said. So after I pondered on it, slept over it, I was like, no, I'm going to reply back. And I did. Because I wanted to let him know, as a white man, you're not going to disrespect me, and you're not going to downgrade the award that I received on my own merit. And I told him, I said, my casework speaks for itself, and the things I do, people are looking at me, and I don't have to pay for nothing. So I going to bring that out, too, as well, in a sense to where, you know, should we say something to the white person who quote-unquote, it's okay for them to disrespect us or, you know, address those microaggressions or their racism. Should
2: we say something? Was, was he an attorney as well? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because I would have said, no, is that is that how you get your awards? Do you pay for your awards? Is that, what would make you say that? Well, because oh, nobody's voting for you?
5: Okay. Well, That's I, the,
1: a lot of people I, pay for I, their I, awards. That's the reason why I assumed he said it,
5: was because most people pay for their awards. Right. Well, and, and also being- But who
2: asked this, them, Terea? Everyone knows that super lawyers, all those lawyers pay for the awards and those ads. But who who asked that? Nobody asked anyone, do they pay for their awards? So why did you feel like that was okay? That was
0: my- I, 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 would like,
2: just, I would just like to know. He wouldn't ask any of those people in super lawyers, um, did you pay for your awards? How much did you pay for this advertisement? He wouldn't ask any of them. So why did you feel like you had a pass to ask me?
5: So I'll, I'll say this on, as being one of the people that's, that was on that group message, I was the one that said, you know, and we and me and Brandy talked about this and it ultimately came down to, you know, pick your battles, pick and choose your battles, pick and choose your battles. At the same time, Brandy knows my, my first reaction was, say something to him, reply to him, because if you don't, he's going to think it's okay to come at you again like this. First of all, nobody came at you, nobody came at this man directly and said, You need to congratulate Brandy. This had nothing to do with you. And because it was a, a company-wide uh, distribution where they were congratulating her as celebrating her, if something in his spirit said, I don't like this, this is a problem. So I'm going to right. say something to this young black woman who, you know, who got this award because everybody else is celebrating her and nobody is celebrating me at this time. That's an insecurity. You know and you're not responsible for anybody else's insecurities and you can always clap back at somebody without actually you know right. putting the job in jeopardy or anything else because titles and everything come into play at that point and that's why and brandy you know if i'm not mistaken you you had a conversation with your supervising attorney which is what i wanted you to do that way you know he can't say well she was just disrespectful to me and everything else because now you have somebody that's on his level in your corner you know that knows that this is something that that bothered you, and she gave you permission, and not not that she needed to, but she gave you permission to address him, but address him as colleagues and say, "I got this award based on the merit of my work, not because I'm cutting the check or that the company is cutting the check, because I don't, I don't know about anybody else. If I get something, I ain't paying for it. That's just one that you know is based off of but, the work. But
2: even even but, if you do pay for it, it's yours. Who is it? Who is it? for you to to ask me that
5: and 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 that's my thing it that goes to everything insecure about this counterpart about him that has nothing to do with her my point was address him address him very professionally but also address him in a way that just because you send me an email and think you're going to indirectly insult me it it just ain't gonna fly over here man
1: (laughs) but i think i think you brought up a great point henry Insecurities, yes. and I believe racism stems on insecurities. This goes all the way back, right? Yeah. There are some insecurities that are within certain people, certain persons, and they see things in us that we don't even see in ourselves. Right. And that's where this racism stems from. I mean, if you just go to, we can use the George Floyd case. We can use the Ahmaud Arbery case. I mean, to look at the man's face, I, I say everybody should watch the video. Um, but to watch uh, Officer Siobhan and the look that he had, he had a look of just dead. There was nothing there as he laid Maria, his knee please don't put respect on that
2: man's name by calling him an
1: officer. <laughs> call him Siobhan. Former officer, former officer. I don't know this man's first name. I don't know, the one that's sitting in jail on suicide. You can call him Siobhan, okay, the murderer.
0: Okay, the murderer. Or the murderer. But- the murderer with the million dollar bond. <laughs>
1: I think it goes back to the insecurities. I, I was talking to my parents about this, about how even back in slavery time, you know, they would take the men and talk about how strong they were, talk about their build, talk about just how superior we really are, right? And the men wanted the women, and the women wanted the men, and they, they still do. And so I think it's all about insecurities in. That's a part of where the racism comes in. That is just straight insecurities. Just like you know, someone hating on another person, female or male. Why? Why are you so concerned or attacking someone? It's because you have your own insecurities. And and to me, that goes into our next topic of systemic racism um, with the insecurities.
2: <laughs> but I think I think that also we've reached a level. I know I've reached a level in my professional career now, especially with all of this happening. That um, it's time to start calling out like BS. And I understand the narrative of angry Black woman, but I'm to the point now where I know how to assert myself, but you're not getting a fly. Like, I would just straight up ask him, why did you ask me that? Why did you feel comfortable to ask me that? What made you ask me that? and hold people's feet to the fire and and answer those hard questions. Because I think so many times we as black professionals feel like we have to kind of find middle ground. And I think that it's a way where we don't necessarily have to find that middle ground but we can still assert ourselves professionally enough to call it what it is. What you did was racist it was wrong. And I'm offended by it. And I think that it's time that Black professionals, we stand on our credentials. Because how many times have people said something totally inappropriate to us, and we're the only Black face in the room, and we kind of have to decide between, am I going to take my earrings off? (laughs) Or am I going to let it slide? Or how am I gonna assert this without coming across this way? But what's wrong with being angry? What's wrong with being offended? What's wrong with being shocked and appalled? Nothing. What's
5: nothing, wrong with that? No, nothing at all. You know, I, I it, and, and I, I had this conversation with um, one of the partners uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and where I just had to make the point of we are in a crisis right now. You know, business is not as usual when it comes to your minority employees when it comes to your black employees it's not business as usual i know us working remotely and you think it's okay business is flowing still and everything else no we still you still have you have employees that may have had you know negative uh experiences with law enforcement who are going through ptsd at this point who you know are, are afraid to to leave their homes, or who just are afraid to 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 just communicate with anybody at this point, you know. And and I I I have a a, a younger employee of mine who is just like uh, Miss Floyd. I'm I'm just I I I just don't even want to leave the house because I'm afraid I may not even make it back home. That that is all too common for a lot of our people. And I had to and I had to make, and I don't know if he took it, but I it had to be said you know we need to incorporate some sensitivity training or something y'all need to make sure that business is not usual when we do return to the office because you may find yourself in a situation that you don't want to be in as an employer you know let
0: me right there too henry let's go that's a good segue into let's provide solutions and resolutions to what's going on so i want to start with Portia with the naacp You know, like again, we know there's systematic racism. We know there's racism. We just, we know it's all across the board. We know they're killing us, but we protested. We have March, the March on Washington um, is coming up again in August of 2020, we're still protesting. What can we do next? What is next? What is going on like right now besides the protest? Because once the protest stops, then what do we need to do so we can stop getting killed so we can stop experiencing these racism or even just you know having to always Try not to be the angry black woman or man and replying back to the racism So what do you think that we should be doing like provide our listeners with a solution?
4: Okay, so There's no one-size-fits-all right because we have been going through this for so long and I my organization that I'm a part of I've been a member since I was in college And it's still, the stuff is still going on, right? So that's 10 plus years and and we have a history, you know, um, Tri, you talked about going back to slavery times, right? So we've had a history of this. But what I can say is, behind the scenes, there's a lot of policy work, right? We talked about policy reform and the policies that need to be put in place. So from a national perspective, NAACP has really four or five policy issues that they're pushing for right now, dealing with criminal justice, with health, voter um, voter action and protections. Um, and I will just encourage everybody who's watching um, to go to NACP.org and click on the the tab for We Are Done Dying. So the organization launched the We Are Done Dying initiative, um, partly in response to my Aubrey's murder, um, in response to COVID and us dying at disproportionate rates um, to COVID-19, and then all the other issues that we deal with on an on a everyday basis. So I will say first, contact your elected officials. So through the NAACP platform, you can contact your senators, your state reps, and kind of and support the initiatives that are going out. But that should be a regular practice in general. City council, We just elected a slew of city council, council persons here in Houston, but the thing that we have to do before we vote all those people in is we have to really examine their record um, and once they're in office, we have to make sure that we hold them accountable. If someone said, like, we're going to reform the criminal justice system, okay. Like, what are your st- what are your action plans, right? So you can write them. Um, we've really been talking about just flood their email boxes, right? Just just get on their nerves. You can talk, you know, you can, you can sign up to speak at the city council meeting. Since they're virtual now, you just call um, and you can sign up to be a, a speaker um, at city council. But also you can register to vote. And I know people are like, oh, you don't want to vote, like, you know. But we have a runoff election on july 14th um and that's a primary runoff election so that's going to set the ballot for there we go set the ballot for um for november um here in texas so that's important so early the voter registration deadline is june 15th So that's next monday to vote to register to vote for that primary runoff but of course we have the election in november so I would encourage people if they can to vote in this primary runoff to set the ballot for November, but also when you're going to vote, be an educated voter. So I personally feel like a miseducated voter is just as bad as someone not voting, because if you don't know who you're voting for, and in Texas, we got rid of straight ticket voting. So in one way, it's, it's good that we don't have straight ticket voting, but in another way, it's problematic as well, right? Because it's so many more people that you have to research. It's so many more names that you have to know, and so there's a lot of work that has to be done in terms, even an organization like my own, to make sure that we're properly educating people. Like we can't tell people who to vote for because we're nonpartisan, but we can tell you what the position is supposed to do, how you can hold them accountable, um, when and where you can vote. Um, so that's a, that's an important piece. So get registered to vote. We have that election coming up, of course. November is the big one um, that everybody likes to vote on, voting because it's presidential, but You know, change happens at a local level, not necessarily national level. So we have to make sure that people are voting locally and on a state level as well. And then finally, do your census, right? So that's the big one. Fill out your census. They extended the deadline. It's not, um, doesn't close until October 31st. We don't want people to wait all the way until October to to complete their census. It takes five to seven minutes. It's just nine questions. Um, They're not going to use this information to, you know, come find you. Um, it's really just about information. So we get the resources that we need, right? In education in, in, in so many different ways, right? So we need to make sure we fill out our census. So they're already, like we said, they're already killing us, right? But we want to, we don't want to add more fuel to the fire. We don't want to cut the resources that we have that can help improve our lives. So that's what I'm going to say, like, register to vote, contact your elected officials, if you go to the NAACP.org, like national website, you can click on the "We Are Done Dying." You can literally contact. It has a built-in form um, for fast action where you can write your senators um, and then your your rep, your representatives. So I can go in right now and click it, and it'll send an email to John Corn to Ted Cruz, and then my um, state rep is Ben Crenshaw. So they get a lot a lot of emails from me on behalf of the NAACP. And it fills out the information for you. It's already written. and You can basically just put your name in um, and you can do that. And so that's what I I'm
2: it. sure. I'm sure Senator Teddy is just waiting to read your emails. <laughs> no, you
4: know, he doesn't respond as often, but I've gotten responses from John Corn, but he's in an election year. Right. And then I also get responses from Ben Crenshaw. And another thing I would say is join their mailing list. So your elected officials, like, join their email list. I know we get a lot of emails, but it's good information for you to know what they're saying, what their rhetoric is, what their policies they're supporting. Because if you are in opposition of that, you can reach out to them and say that, say what you don't want you don't want them to do. And then also here in the city of Houston, um, I live in District A, um, but I also follow all the at-large um, council persons as well to know what's going on. So we've been able to share information about food drives, donations, whatever that is. So you can find out the resources that they have, not just to, to, to go after them um, and to hold them accountable, but also just to know what they're doing in the community and the resources that they have to share with us as well.
0: So Abby, as um, the chair of the American, African-American um, Legal Division of the State Bar of Texas, what can Texas lawyers do to after the protest is over You know, even during the protest, what can like lawyers, what can we do? So I heard
3: someone speak the other day um, and it's what they said has resonated with me. Um, As attorneys, um, I find nothing wrong with protesting. Um, But as attorneys, we kind of have an we have an extra skill set. So attorneys should protest differently. You know, you can protest out you know, in the community with your picket sign, et cetera, but you should also be trying to do other things because we can really affect change. I think everybody can affect change, but we have a different skill set and we should bring that to bear. So um, the African-American lawyer section of the State Bar of Texas issued a call to action press release on June 1st. And in that, uh, we kind of outlined a series of things that, that lawyers, um, not just African-American attorneys in, in Texas, but all lawyers can do, um, and so, um, some of what we said was denouncing minorities, which honestly, we're seeing a lot of that. We've seen a lot of companies we've seen a lot of people say that black lives matter, a thing that they would not say like a year ago. So that's good. Um, I have my opinion about whether they mean it, but it's cool. Um, right. then we also talked about, um, promoting, um, implicit bias training for officers. I'll come back to that. Um, we as attorneys can educate the community about how to protest. And so, um, we're calling on attorneys to provide information on how to peaceably uh, assemble. Um, we are encouraging video and written documentation during demonstrations, which through all of this, that's been so helpful to see what's actually happening on the front lines of the protests. And we see more and more police brutality, which is the reason we are protesting in the first place, but it's good to have, uh, video, um, documentation. Um, and then a lot of people have created lists of bondsmen of attorneys that will represent people pro bono. I think attorneys, if you're available, if you, if this is your area of criminal law is your area, or if you have someone that you can tag team with, then representing people, um, who are arrested in these protests and actually have charges, uh, charged against them is another way that attorneys can get involved. Um, and then encouraging the organization of local citizen review boards, supporting reform legislation, which it's it's already underway. So lawyers need to look at that and use your lawyer hat and your education to weigh in on that. Um, and then of course, we also said that people should complete their census. Now, after we issued our statement, we actually had um, a call with local police uh union representatives, um, including the Houston Police Officers Union, um, the Texas um, Municipal Officer Association, and like the DPS one. Um, And we sent them our press release and they reviewed it and they gave us a little bit of feedback. And after that, I learned a lot about what's already in, in place and what their thoughts are on some of the additional things that we were talking about. Like, for example, we've already heard that it's, um, that there's a bill, I believe in the Senate um, for um, criminalizing using 911 as a weapon against someone falsely. Um, and so they said that as a police officer, they would be totally okay with that because that's another citizen contact that they wouldn't want to have. Um, but um, it was interesting to me to know that we already have, I think I knew this already, but in Harris County, not Harris County, Houston Police Department, we already have an oversight board. Um, and and But we might, we, I don't think we have one for the Sheriff's Department or the DPS locally. So those are things that we can do. Um, and then there are lots and lots of organizations now and um, Eight Can't Wait is one with Campaign Zero. They... I saw that and I'm like, this is exactly what we need. It's saying, what have we not done here in Houston? And what should we be calling on our local officials to do? Minimum, really, that they should do, because there's even more that they could do. Um, so, uh, you know, sharing that, educating yourself on that is another thing. And then I, I just wanted to point out, specifically for people in Houston, um, city council members, Jerry Davis, uh, Dr. Evan Shabazz, um, City Council Member Thomas Pollard and um, Castex Tatum, they have a joint statement that they issued today um, and it's completely on this subject. And they make specific reference to the Eight Can't Wait campaign. Um, there's supposed to be a task force um, that's gonna be put together by the city. And so who serves on those task forces? Who serves on the police oversight board? It should be us. It should be African-American attorneys. We have the African-American experience and we have that legal training. Um, So people should really be stepping up. And I know that a lot of people wanna do something. That's why you saw people take to the streets. And like we've all said, very soon, we won't be protesting anymore. Hopefully there are no other shootings or killings, um, so we don't have to take to the streets again. But this is a way to put you know, put your energy behind something. Join one of those task forces or oversight boards, um, in addition to everything
0: else we talked about. Thank you, Amy, and thank you, Portia. Now, Mr. Floyd, you gonna bring this all together. tell us what we can do from the national level and you know since you in dc what what the washington bar um has you know the task force that the national bar association if you can you know speak on that and the washington bar association as you being president what else can like the community what can we do on a national level you know um to help us stop getting killed
5: well well i think i agree with with um you know, a lot of with pretty much everything that that Portia, Portia and um, Abby have said in uh, ways of us getting involved. When it comes to to me and I and my opinion on ways to get involved, it always comes down to education and accountability. Um, as far as the the National Bar Association, uh, I know President Robinson is is doing a lot of things. She just she's in the process of pulling together a police misconduct task force to address. Um, you know some of these well to address some of these issues and these protests nationally. That's being headed by um, you know Ben Crom, Darrell Parks, uh, Marwan Porter from the Cochrane firm, and also past president Joe Drayton. Is uh, he he did Know Your Rights videos when he was president last year, and and you know again we're releasing those on the NBA website and you know on our different networks, you know because it's again it's timely. It's never going away. It's always timely, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, and I know uh President Robinson actually had a webinar earlier today where she took, you know, uh one of the sheriffs from Flint, Michigan, uh, actually took questions. Um, you know, they had a QA on, on how, you know, things what what can they do? What can he do within his department and what can sheriffs across the country do to make sure, you know, to try to minimize, you know, uh the police brutality. Uh and so we kudos to the National Bar Association for jumping in and and providing those services. Uh, also in Washington D.C., the Washington Bar Association, um, our members have come together to to give free, free pro bono legal services for protesters who are arrested, you know, while you're, you're peacefully protesting, you know. And everyone, it, it sounds like everyone is doing the same thing with doing that, which is a good thing because you know, at, at the time, you know, people just some people can't afford legal representation. You know, we have some amazing attorneys members, you know, and not just our members, but you know, our white counterparts. Who can also volunteer and help us, and and you know, and and minimize some, you know, some of these um, arrests and well, you know, some of these convictions, you know, and we can get some of these people out. Uh, we're also, uh, done, you know, we've also done know your rights as well because the more you know, the better off you you are. You know, people, you will be surprised as to how many people don't know what their rights are, even when they're pulled over, when they're protesting, and you know, it's it's one of those things where it just goes back to education and accountability. Now, when it comes to the accountability piece, you know, I I have a different take on that. I I think as a community, we have all of these elected and public officials that represent our community. You know, they've promised us certain things, uh, you know, when they were campaigning. And as a community, we need to hold them to the fire. You need to hold your elected officials accountable. You know, don't, don't, if you have an issue, no matter how minor or minute you think it is, if that's something within that elected officials purview, call them. Send them a message because, you know, what good are they if you don't even want to bother them? Bother them, you know, hold them to that office, because if you don't, the next time you'll see them, they'll be asking for your vote. And you at that point, you're asking them questions. Those same questions is, well, what happens when I have this problem? Or what happened when I have that problem? And they're still going to give you that answer that they would have given you three or four years you know, prior to that because they never do anything about it or they just didn't want to address it. And you never told them that, you know, that's what they needed to do. So I definitely think you know if the elected officials that you have in place right now, as far as your community goes, if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, identify you know other um, community leaders who we may need to put in those positions, and push the other ones out who are not addressing your needs because the lack of representation in some of these positions, if we don't have the representation uh, you know that's going to take care of our community, they're just not going to address our issues. And again, we it's it's uh it's what 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 animal is that? it's a gerbil wheel, a hamster wheel of problems. It just goes around and around and around, and nobody is addressing them and Then you get all of these people who have been in office for so many years and they haven't done anything. You know when are we going to be fed up enough to be able to remove them so to me it's education and accountability and i and I agree that you know most people don't know d c is we're not a state we are we are definitely different than everybody else. we don't get to elect our judges. Our judges are are appointed by the President of the United States because we don't have a governor. Now, I'm going to tie this all in together from that first statement. So since we don't have, uh, our President decides that he, you know, who he wants on the bench, he's filling these benches with everybody that's, he's, he's politicizing the judiciary. He's weaponizing the judiciary. Meaning, We went from, from the time I've been in leadership for the Washington Bar Association, we went from having 33 black judges on D.C. Superior Court in two years' time to having nine. Now, D.C. Superior Court, that's a crisis. We are in a crisis because he is not appointing black judges. He's not appointing minority judges, you know, and so when you walk into D.C. Superior Court, D.C. Superior Court handles everything from minor traffic accidents to rape and murder charges, major felonies. So when you walk into D.C. Superior Court, you're looking at a judiciary that does not reflect the community. Mm -hmm. And you know, people don't know, and and it's education, people don't know. He gets to choose our judges. So when you don't take it serious and you only feel like I just need to vote every four years for the president, that's not good enough. You need to be issuing comments. At the bar, I get mail from the actual, the judicial commissions who say we want comments on these judges who want reappointments. I send those out to the membership. To our membership, I send those out to the community. Because if you've had a negative um if you've had a, ne- a negative encounter with one of these judges, the judiciary who's about to reappoint them needs to hear about that. And if you don't if you don't care enough to submit those comments, then guess what? You're going to deal with the same 10 to 15 years of that same judge who is going to who does not have a problem putting us behind bars. Because they have another fifteen years until they get to the mandatory retirement age, and guess what? We're screwed.
0: And that's a, that's good. So what? Basically, what I'm hearing is we need to educate ourselves. We definitely need to vote and be registered to vote. And um, local elections are are important, just as national. But we need to focus on our elected um, our local elections, and we need to hold everybody accountable to what they said. And if they're not doing it, we need to come hard and remind them, let them know for their emails and things like that.
5: And one more thing, Brenda, and, and you know, you, you we have amazing community leaders. We need to be putting them in those positions, in those rooms where they can help, you know, draft legislation, where they can help draft these policies. As attorneys, you don't have to be an attorney to draft policy, you know? and So you can volunteer. As a citizen, you can volunteer. Go and intern, I tell my law students all the time, And and I, I, you know, and I I was so concerned with them because all of our D.C. law students got together this past Saturday and did a march for justice. Now, I had to talk to a few of them and say, now, look, you got character and fitness on the line. You got everything on the line. Think about this. I'm not saying go in and I'm not saying don't go protest. What I'm saying is and I say you have more to lose than anybody else. But in essence, you do. And the smallest, the smallest infraction will cause you a lot of pain and agony when it comes to you getting your license and we don't need you to have to deal with that we need more of you on you know where you have your license where you can do more of the work everybody's ministry is not the same we can exactly. do different things. Right. Uh, same thing with Abby we could do different things um but i will say this and i'll wrap up because i don't want to take everybody's time uh, i do want to highlight you know and not taking away anything from George Floyd Breonna Taylor Ahmaud Aubrey, anybody else who's been killed by police But there is another name that needs to be added to that list, and that's Maurice Ford. That's the 28-year-old who just got shot and killed, got murdered on the side of Garden, what is it, Garden State Parkway in New Jersey on May Mm 23rd, 2020. And he was—he got pulled over for a routine traffic stop, and he was waiting on a tow truck. And at that point, the man got murdered or something, but he was shot and killed by the officer who pulled him over. And the family is actively trying and asking for the FBI and New Jersey to investigate, and it's not getting any traction. So I would definitely like to add, you know, his name to the conversation because it, it, it needs to be added. Well, I appreciate and it. Uh, um, go
0: ahead, Sam. We've got to wrap up, so make it
2: quick. No, no, I was just gonna say, lastly, I think I would appreciate everyone's call to action because I think that every what everyone had to say was excellent. And I think that one last thing that we should also keep in mind as a black community, we are top consumers. It's time that we start putting our money where our mouth is. And all these people sent out all these great emails, all these corporations, sent all these things about Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. But I think it's time to also recognize the people who are taking it seriously and start backing those companies, because when it comes to corporations, all they care about is the almighty dollar, whatever is going to make them more money. And if they start seeing that, hey, we supporting Black Lives Matter, is made our sales jump, and the people who Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter and Everybody Lives Matter except for Black Lives Matter, um, if those corporations, if we start taking our consumer dollar and start taking it away from those companies, I think that that is another way that you can promote change as well is start looking at where your money's going. Start looking at where your taxes are going. Start looking at where is your money being spent.
0: I definitely agree with that because as everybody knows, the black dollar is the most powerful dollar and we have the highest consumer power. So we definitely need to be smart in where we spend our money. So we are at the end of the show. And before we go, we always do arrest my case. And what that means is basically it doesn't necessarily is just whatever you want to end in the year 2020 or whatever you want to um, whatever you want to rest. Like it don't necessarily have to be anything on this topic, but we just usually do that. It's kind of like a little fun thing towards the end of our show before we do our um, like handles and you know signing out. So I'm gonna have Taria start. Taria, what's your call to rest today?
1: Um this morning, uh, a nice picture was, was taken um, where a group of people decided to kneel on one knee and, and don kente cloth. And, you know, when they were kneeling, I thought that was so nice for them to kneel. And then I saw the kente cloth, the, the fake cloth. And <laughs> it bothered me because it was fake cloth and I don't even use that cloth. Um, it bothered I'm, i i I'm upset with <laughs> This is an easy. This is an easy election for the people, right? Just don't vote for Trump, right? So the goal <laughs> should be getting everybody to register to vote and vote for Biden. Get Trump out. We can figure out the rest of it later. We just need to get Trump out. But we don't have to do all this to get to the black vote. Like, why are y'all wearing can't take cloth to get to the black vote? Vote. You gonna get it if you just sit back and tell people to register and vote. You get our vote. Stop. We're not that, we're not the same.
0: We're not dumb.
1: <laughs> Howdy doody. Stop. You don't need can cloth. You don't need it.
0: <laughs> Put it away. Burn it. <laughs> Donate it. Don't burn it. Donate it. Right. No, no, burn it. We don't need
1: that. You don't need that. Just burn it. It's okay. Make it mulch for your yard. It's the springtime. You need something for your yard.
0: Sam, what you laying around? That's all I
2: Okay, so so here's here's what I'm laying to rest guys. I am all about promoting black lives. I'm all about um, carrying the torch and doing more than past the protest, keeping it going. But also, my black colleagues and friends, every white person is not racist. Some people don't know what to say or how to approach it. You cannot make allies if you are constantly criticizing non-black individuals who are trying to help. That's okay. True. Now, I know that I just piggyback off of Terea saying we don't need the Kente Club, but if your white colleague has a Kente Club, you just pull them to the side. You don't. You don't. You don't say, "Hey, we don't need you." Just say, "Hey, Bill." I understand you want to be an ally, but we have other resources and ways that you can help. Help educate your non-black friends. Help them Amen. understand what we need help with. We don't need you wearing kente cloth. We appreciate it, okay? And we don't need you singing rap songs. We, we, we just need, we don't even need you singing "Stand by me or the Negro spirituals. What we need you to do is to learn what we need and educate your family and your friends and call out racists. But every white person is not a racist. Right. Learn how to educate, as Henry said, and to create an ally instead of just criticizing everything. Some of these people, they don't know what to do, okay? Some of them texting and they're like, how are you? I'm okay, but I just won't. You no, know, I just don't want to die. So just <laughs> learn to create allies, guys. We gotta stop being so critical sometimes.
0: Some of them are willing to help. Okay, Miss Abby, you've done this before. What's your rest of my case?
3: Uh, I had one. Where did I put it? I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget because here I am. I probably did this last time too. Um, okay, yes, I remember. Um, it's kind of along the same lines as yours, but it's a little different. Um, I know last week I spoke to some of my friends and they were just like, I just can't. You know, I just can't. That's just how a lot of people were. Um, And that's in response to everybody asking, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Everybody wanting to be educated on this. And I just feel like everyone needs to, and this is probably from the employment lawyer perspective, um, but do what's right for you. I do not believe, I have not ever believed, and I really don't believe it now, that we should have to be the Black spokesperson everywhere. I do not have in me what every Black person thinks or what they feel. Um, and I can't I can't solve institutional racism for you. So if you don't feel like being that person, don't. If you can't, just don't. Um, so yeah, I think that's my call to rest.
4: That's a good one. Portia, what's your later rest? I would say my later rest is to not um, bash or put down organizations um, like the NAACP, like Black Lives Matter, like any other organization that you are not involved in and have not taken the time to look up the actions of that organization. Do not say they are not present, do not say they are not doing anything. And do not ask them what they are doing if you have not taken the time to research it and look it up. So with that, I'll say if you if you feel it in your heart, join the NAACP. Uh, if you're on a local level, join the Houston branch. Um, but really just don't bash it, don't put it down if you have not done your due diligence to look up and see what they've done, not only in Houston, but wherever you are, before you say something, just Just try to check and see if they are doing something before you. You know, bash them or put them down. Last but not least, Mr. Floyd,
0: gonna wrap this case. (laughs) Uh,
5: You know what? One big one thing for me is stop holding other people's advocacy to your deadlines and your guidelines. Everybody is not everybody does not. Do the same thing, think the same way. Just because you went out and protested last week does not mean all of your friends should have should have joined you. You know, I, I aspire to. I'm like Randy. I aspire to the level of petty, like like Mayor Bowser here in D.C. Uh, you know, I, that's me all day long. I can reach a level of petty that's just it's just unrelenting. But you know, I and I like the big performative activism where you know you could you you make the big gestures and everything else. But what's next? Right what's next, what is the impact activism? What is it that we're doing this week? Okay, we painted Black Lives Matter and changed this address this week. Are we working on any type of police reform, any policy? That is, you know, that's what I'm looking for. I'm all for, you know, the, the, the level, you know, of petty, but I'm also about, you know, following up with some type of impact, you know, that's going to actually change the lives for our communities, you know, and, and I'll say this, and it may even go into another conversation at a later date. But we don't need to defund police you know we need to divert those funds into black and brown communities and and give it major oversight and how do we do that i don't know that's something that we actually need to look into those solutions but police don't need more training they have enough training you know you know they may need different types of training but they don't need more more they don't need combat and military training they've had it they they choose who they want to use it on, which unfortunately is us more than anything else. But they don't need more training. But we do need to divert um, funds to Black and Brown communities with major oversight, just to make sure that our communities are uh, benefiting from from that diversion.
0: That was going to be another conversation. We yeah. tried
5: to talk about it, but well, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, we wanted no. We were going to talk about, it, but we ran out of time. But I'm glad you brought that up. So that another episode. So okay. my rest, my case is: if you are protesting. I'm here for protesting. Yay. But if you protest without a voter, voter registration card, go home. And I need you to go get yeah. a voter registration card. Because if you're protesting and you don't have a voter registration card, that means that when the protesting stops, then you cannot vote. Yes. Yes. So if you are protesting and you need to get a voter registration card and you need to be voting and researching all of these um Candidates that are coming up for these this November election in Texas, July fourteenth is our primaries. I actually received my mail-in ballot in the mail. Check your mail. I think due to COVID, I think we're doing mail-in ballot. Check your mail. If you have received it. I received mine. I will be doing my um, I will be voting for the primaries for the runoff election. So I will definitely be doing that, doing my early voting. So please, again, if you are protesting. Get a voter registration card or not, just go home because you're not, you're not helping the cause, you're not using it. So, we are at the end of the show. I thank our lovely heavy hitters for yes, coming on. Let's say something real quick. If, oh, come on,
2: I want to say a closing statement, and this normally I don't end with a closing statement, but I want to remind everyone that back during the Rodney King protest, um, there was. Uh, a song called F the Police. And they asked that NWA not, I mean, not yeah, NWA not perform F the Police because Black people, and this is what they said, Black people have a short memory. And as long as they, when they play F the Police, it brought back and reminded and brought Black Americans back to protesting. I say all that to say they are um, banking on us protesting, going home, and not doing anything else. That is what society is based on. We are known for being very rah-rah. I think that's the D.C. term. But Mm -hmm. we're known for being very rah-rah at the initial thing. But we've also known that we are very forgiving people. And the lawyers on this podcast know that that's the first thing that they teach you when you're picking a jury pick black people because they're forgiving and they don't stay mad for very long they don't stay angry so i'm not asking you to stay mad but but remember to go out and do something And and don't let us be that stereotype let's get out and let's have a long memory and let's do something
0: amen so on that note, um, Abby, tell everybody where they can follow you, where they can contact you. Sure, um,
3: I'm Abby Katoon, A-B-B-Y-K-O-T-U-N. I also have an alter ego, Abby the Problem Solver on IG. Um, and then you can follow the African-American lawyer section of the State Bar of Texas at A-A-L-S dot S-B-O-T, thank you. Portia, where can they follow you?
4: Uh, follow the NAACP Houston branch um, on Facebook and on Instagram. my um, Instagram is NAACP underscore HOU. So this NAACP Houston branch on Facebook. And Henry, where can they follow you in the Washington Bar Association and the National
5: Bar Association? National Bar Association. <laughs> um, <laughs> on Facebook, it's the Washington Bar Association. It's the National Bar Association and Henry Floyd on IG. I am V-T-H-E uh, underscore H-Floyd underscore E-S-Q. Uh, the Washington Bar is W-B-A underscore D-C. Uh, and uh, I think on LinkedIn, it's all the same. Henry Floyd, Washington Bar Association, and the National Bar Association.
0: T-Hutch, where they find you so we can get this man.
1: <laughs> Today, we're not looking for a man. I just want to say, when my girl Nancy Pelosi got up with the kente cloth from her knees, she then went into her office and continued working on the police reform bill that they are actually drafting and trying to get to the House of Representatives. Yeah. So they are actually doing work right now, guys. I just didn't like the Kente cloth. We are more than Kente cloth. But you can follow me a bit
2: simply being T at Instagram.
1: And we can talk about this, DM me. We can talk about this. Don't look
2: for me. I'm not dating. You know nobody black suggested that Kente cloth. That they take cloth. Somebody yes. non-black is like, I got a great yes. idea. Wear some ketchup clothes.
0: Praise. Are we following you today? Are we going to follow you to the uh, voting booth? Follow me to the
2: voting booth. Follow Jesus, you know, if you're a Christian. If you're not, you know, because we're going to need a lot of prayer and we're going to need a lot of policy. So follow me to the voting booth.
0: <laughs> well, as always, you can follow me at brand underscore Janae on Instagram. And um, you can follow No Further Questions on Facebook, NFQ. Pod on Twitter and no further Q on Instagram. So we are out. Thank y'all again for being on our show, and we will see y'all next time. Have a good week. Thank We're you out. For having us. Bye
1: bye.